open to hear what you have to say in Exodus. God, would we learn from your word and would we follow it? Um, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. This is our third week in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 7, verse 6 to 11, verse 10. It's five chapters, so buckle up. As we have entered the book of Exodus, we've seen several different characters. The different pharaohs, the midwives, Moses and his family, the Israelites, and the Egyptians. The main character of Exodus, as we've seen over the past three or two weeks, and as we'll see today, and as we'll see in the next ten, is the Lord God Almighty. He is the main character in this story. We've seen in the first six chapters, the Lord is at work in his creation. He is not a God who sits back and lets his creation go. We are not open theists. We're not open theists. We believe in an active God involved in the lives of his people and in the lives of the nations. Today, in these chapters, we come to a confrontation not between Moses and Pharaoh or between the Israelites and the Egyptians. We come to a confrontation between the Lord God and the gods of the Egyptians. In Exodus 12, 12, God is very clear that this is what he is doing. He is displaying his power. And this is what he says in 12, 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This is the Lord's purpose. He is confronting the, the Egyptian gods. This is a full frontal assault on the gods of the nations. And he is proving that he is the God of creation, the God who is active, the God who is there. In this confrontation, we see the Lord is bringing judgment against a people who have oppressed his people and have rebelled against him. We call this sin, rebellion, this, this active disobedience. Sin is a bad word in our culture. We don't like talking about it because it comes across as judgmental and intolerant. I understand this sentiment. It, it's, it, man, it, it's hard to talk about sin. It's hard to call out sin in one another's lives as the church, even more so in our community and in the world. But sin is introduced in Genesis 3, and it runs through all of scriptures. And this is what the scriptures say. Sin separates us from a holy, righteous, loving God. Sin separates us from a God who, who loves, who cares, and desires people from all nations to know him. The Lord cannot allow sin to go unpunished. So he must bring judgment against sinners. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 gives us great hope in the midst of judgment. This is what Peter says. The Lord 
is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Our God is a patient God who desires all to come to repentance. We will see his patience today, but we also see that judgment is necessary. We have five chapters to cover today. We're gonna move through them fairly quickly. Within these chapters, we see a sign to Pharaoh along with nine plagues against the Egyptians and a warning that a 10th plague is coming. Each of these signs and plagues have as its goal repentance and a turning toward the one true God. This is what we see in Exodus 9, 14 to 16. Right in the middle of all of these plagues, God gives us his purpose for the plagues. And this is what he says. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, talking to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. If you, if you have a Bible, if you're, if you're on your phone right now, I would encourage you to underline, highlight, caps, quotation marks. I don't know, verse 16. This is, this is the essence of what the plagues are about. That you may know my power, that you may see my power, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is God's mission this is his hope. Last week, as Eric preached, we saw Pharaoh's pride in 5.2, where he responds to Moses saying, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That I should acknowledge him at all? And today, in this passage, that question is going to be answered. And unfortunately, for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it's answered through judgment. It's answered through judgment. For all who stand opposed to the Lord will be judged. Will be judged. Even in judgment, though, there is great hope for those who turn to him. As we look at these five chapters today, this is our big idea. God's purpose in judgment is for all the earth to know him. God's purpose in judgment is for all the earth to know him. As we, as we work through this big chunk of text, I want you to just, uh, whether you're writing or where you're, whether you're taking mental notes, typing, I want you to look for how God displays himself in these chapters. Who, who is he? What does he want us to know about him? That's how we're going to conclude today. We're going to ask that question, and we're going we're to draw some conclusions there. First, I'd like to read the first 13 verses of chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd, I'd encourage you to grab one in front of you. It's on page 46. I'm going to read those, and then I'm going to pray for us. So beginning in chapter 7, verse 1, this is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, 
and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. That's where we stopped last week. And then verse six picks up this week. Listen to, listen to Moses and Aaron's response. Moses and Aaron did so. We're gonna see this throughout the next five chapters. We're gonna see obedience. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. 80 and 83, about to go wreak havoc on Egypt. 80 and 83. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a servant. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before the wise men and the sorcerers and they, sorry, Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray as, as we enter into this passage. Father, we, we need your help. We need your spirit to, to guide us, to, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to open our hearts, so we may understand your word. Father, we, we know uh, we, we may be walking into this place this morning as Pharaoh with hardened hearts. Father, we need you, by the power of your spirit, to soften those hearts. Lord, we need, we need heart transplants. We need you to take that heart of stone and turn it into heart of flesh, that we may truly understand who you are. And by understanding who you are, we may grasp who we are. Father, help us now, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we enter into this passage today, we see Moses and Aaron obedient to the Lord. They go to Pharaoh and we see this sign. We see the, the staff turned into a snake. This is the same sign that God had told Moses to show the Israelites so that they'll know who he is. So here, he's doing this sign in front of Pharaoh. We, it's, it's an interesting sign. It's a very interesting sign. This staff is thrown down and it turns into a, a serpent, a snake. The reason it's interesting is because Pharaoh would have been wearing a crown with a snake on it. This, this should take us back. Remember, Genesis to Deuteronomy was written by Moses. Moses is connecting the dots for us across the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And what he wants us to see here, he wants us to look back and see the original snake, the original promise. There's a snake that entered into a garden and questioned God. But what did, did God really say? And what happened there is, is Adam and Eve were deceived. They were prideful. Their hearts were hardened. And they turned against God. They listened to the snake. And from there, sin entered the world. We call this original sin. Sin entered the world, and through Adam, all men and women have been infected by sin. We are born in a sinful condition with hardened hearts towards God. And, and, but this is, the, this is the good news. 
Genesis 3 has all of these, these curses. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But then right in the middle of Genesis 3, we see this promise. And it's given to the woman and her offspring. And it says, yes, the, the woman, you'll have offspring. Serpent, you'll have offspring. The offspring of the serpent will, will, will bite the heel, will, will crush the, or will, will strike the heel of the offspring of the woman. But this is the good news for us. The offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So from Genesis 3 all the way to present and then throughout the, the Bible, we see these two offspring, offspring of woman and offspring of the serpent, they're battling. They're battling. Here Pharaoh is a representation of the serpent king. This serpent king who's battling against the people of Israel. But what we see here is a picture of, of this, this serpent that, that, that Moses and Aaron throw down. Yes, the magicians do the same thing. Is that trickery? Some people say it was a staff that they had, it was actually a, a cobra that they had hypnotized. And then when they threw it down, it became a snake or it not became a snake. It turned or it woke up, you know. I think it's demonic power here. I think throughout, throughout this, we're going to see demonic power being displayed through the magicians. So here, but this is, this is the neat thing here. The serpent that Aaron's staff turned into, it says it, it swallows up these other serpents that the magicians made. It swallows up. We're going to see this word again coming next week. And it's the same word used of the Red Sea. When it comes back on the Egyptian soldiers, it swallows them up. You see here, this is gulping down. Like God's snake gulps down the inferior snakes. Moses, this, this snake crusher is pointing us to the ultimate snake crusher. There's one to come who will completely wipe out demonic power. Will completely wipe out the schemes of the devil. As we move through these chapters, 7 through 11, I'm going to summarize the majority of it. I would encourage you to go back and read each of these plagues and track the commonality between each of them. They each follow a similar pattern of obedience, God's power displayed, magicians' response, not all of them, but several of them have the magi magicians responding, and then Pharaoh's response. We also see in this first sign with the staff, Moses and Aaron obey. God turns Aaron's staff into a snake, his power displayed. The magicians do the same, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So in order for us to, to move through these chapters, I want to answer a few questions for us. The first question is what happens in each plague? So I'm going to summarize each plague for us. The second question is why the plagues? The third question this is the one that, that we, all want to, we all want to know. Well, what do we do with this? <laughs> what do we do with this? This is narrative written thousands of years ago. So what do we do with this? What happens in each plague? There's three cycles of three plagues each. And then the, the final plague, we'll see it threatened this week. Next week, we'll see it come to pass. Uh, also, in our weekly update, we'll send out a helpful tool for you. Uh, to, to just kind of look at the plagues and see how they're connected. Uh, I'm, I'm going to attach or we'll attach a couple of uh, just PDFs onto the weekly email. So the first plague we're introduced to is water to blood. Water to blood. 
And as you'll see, that pattern is going to go through each one of them. Water to blood, obedience. Where do we see obedience here? Moses is told to go to Pharaoh in the morning by the Nile. It says, say to him, let my people go that they may serve me. Tell him, you'll turn the water of the Nile into blood. So I'm going to turn the water into blood. All the fish will die and it will stink. Moses and Aaron obey. We see God's power on display here. All the water in, in, the, in Egypt is turned to blood. Not only the Nile, but all the ponds, all the tributaries, all the fish die, and Egypt stinks. you got to understand, the Nile is Egypt's lifeline. It provides everything for them. Water to drink, food for the, or water for their crops, which means food. They worshipped the Nile. And as I mentioned earlier, each of these plagues are attacks on the gods of the Egyptians. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw out a name in each of these plagues so that you can connect it to a specific god of the Egyptians or goddess. So this one is an attack on Happy, the god of the Nile. He's not able to protect the Egyptians against the Lord. They worship this god. They worship this god, and he's unable to protect them. Over the past probably 50, 60, 70 years, there's been, there's been a push to kind of take each of these plagues and attribute them to some type of natural phenomena. Okay? So I, I'm going to mention a few of them as we go through. But this is, the, this is the thing. As we work through each plague, God says he's going to do something, and then it immediately happens. Right? So if it is a natural phenomenon, then, then the timing is is pretty amazing. But even more, more than that, some of them are trying to dis, like, just discard the supernatural in Exodus. And if you, if you discard it here, you're going to discard it throughout the whole scriptures. But this is, like the first one, it actually was blood. It wasn't what happens every year where red mud mixes in with the Nile and it seems to be red because the people can still drink that and still use it. Here the people are unable to use this water where they even have to dig holes. And this happens for seven days. The magicians do replicate this sign, but again, they add to the problem. They don't reverse the problem. So the magicians turn water to blood or, or whatever, but they're unable to reverse it. They only make it worse. So Pharaoh's heart remains hardened. That's Pharaoh's response. His heart remains hardened. There's no water in Egypt, so they have to dig to find clean water in this last for seven days. The Nile was worshipped in Egypt because it provided everything they need for survival. Application question for us. What are you putting your trust in today instead of the only one who can truly provide? What are you putting your trust in today instead of the only one who can truly provide? Are you like the Egyptians who are trusting in the Nile? Or are you trusting in God, our provider? The second plague is frogs. Frogs. Man, you wouldn't really think frogs would cause much of a problem, right? Like we, well, some of us eat frog legs, you know. This would be a, a buffet. 
the frogs. 8, 1 to 15. Here again, the Lord speaks to Moses. And we see Moses and Aaron obey. Again, Moses is told to go to Pharaoh. Let my people go to serve me. I'm going to plague the country with frogs. They will be everywhere. And when he says everywhere, he means everywhere. House, bed, bedrooms, ovens, bowls, everywhere. Moses and Aaron obey. God's power is on display. He, he causes frogs to infest the land. They come up out of the Nile. They cover the land. They are everywhere. There was a frog goddess in Egypt that was worshipped. And they believe this frog go goddess, her name is Heket, is in control of life and fertility. They saw frogs as, as something sacred, as a, as a, yeah, just a symbol of, of life and fertility and goodness in this country. The magicians, they multiply the frogs, but again, they, they can't take it away, right? They, it's, it's interesting, right? You have all these frogs and we're just going to add more to it. The problem continues to increase. So this time Moses is asked by Pharaoh to intercede on Egypt's behalf. Take away the frogs. Hey, take away the frogs, Moses, and I'll let you go sacrifice. I'll let you go sacrifice. Moses intercedes on behalf of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The frogs die. And it says they're, they're gathered up into these huge piles and the land stinks. Like, I mean, you can imagine, right? Frogs everywhere, the land is stinking now. Pharaoh hardened his heart and doesn't follow up on what he said he would do. The Egyptians held frogs as, as sacred for they represented fertility and life. Question for us, do you trust God to protect, provide, and sustain life? Or are you trusting in something else? Are you trusting in something else? This third this third plague, gnats, or maybe mosquitoes, or lice, there's little, little bugs. God tells Moses to take the staff and strike the dust of the earth so it will become gnats. There's no warning of Pharaoh this time. Gnats, th this little insect, they're a nuisance. So Moses and Aaron, they obey, and God's power is on display. All the dust become gnats. This was, a, th this was an attack on the God of the ground, the one that they would pray for. His name is Geb. They would, they would pray to, to, to provide out of the ground what they needed. One commentator said this is actually the decreating of Egypt in this, where it's, like, it's the opposite of Genesis 1, where God takes chaos and turns it into order and creation. Here he's taking order and making it chaotic by bringing gnats from the dust. This is, this is challenging the trust of Egypt in the ground, in the, ground, in the soil. The, the magicians couldn't replicate this one. We can't do it. And they look at Pharaoh and they say, this must be the finger of God. This must be the finger of God. This must be the hand of God in this work. Yet Pharaoh doesn't listen and his heart is hardened. Yet again, the, the Egyptians used the ground and soil for their food and livelihood. God turns it into gnats. Where do you look for order in the world? Where do you look for order in the world? See, God here, he takes, he takes that which is ordered and he makes it chaotic because they were trusting in that to provide. 
Do you look to your job, your finances, your relationships? Where do you look for order? The next, fl- the next plague is the flies. The flies. In 820 to 32, again, this starts the new, a new cycle. This is the second cycle. We've seen the first. Now, again, the Lord says, Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Tell them to let my people go that they may serve me. And if he doesn't, I'm going to send swarms of flies. This time there's a distinction made. He distinguishes the land of Goshen with the land of Egypt. This is important. God's people lived in Goshen. God is making a, distinct, a distinction between his people and the Egyptians here. And he says in verse 22 of this chapter, that you may know that I am the Lord. This is why he's making this distinction, that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, if we attribute this to natural phenomena, the flies, then the flies only chose to impact Egypt and not Goshen, which was right there in Egypt. God's power is on display. The Lord brought great swarms of flies. Again, this could be the the, the, the God Geb of the ground, or others believe that this would have been an assault on the God of resurrection, the God who controls eternal life. This God named Kefir, who was symbolized by scarab beetles. If you've seen The Mummy or any of those, those movies, you know about these beetles. They just come out every time like one of these tombs is opened. So these little beetles that can fly everywhere, so this is, this is this idea of, of, man, they were putting their hope in eternal life provided by a God of resurrection. The magicians here, they don't show up. Pharaoh makes an offer to let the people sacrifice in the land, but Moses says, no, they've got to get out of Egypt to sacrifice because the Egyptians will be offended. Pharaoh says, okay, Moses prays and the flies are removed. And then again, Pharaoh hardens his heart and doesn't let them go. The Egyptians were fascinated by resurrection and eternal life. The Lord controls the flies and the beetles. He's also in control of eternal life. Are you trusting in something other than the Lord for eternal life? This next, this next plague, the fifth plague, is one of death. The livestock die. Again, Moses is told, go to Pharaoh, Let my people go so that they may serve me. I am going to strike down their livestock. I'm not going to strike down the livestock of my people, but the livestock of the Egyptians. And this will happen tomorrow. Moses leaves and God follows through. The livestock die in Egypt, but none of the Israelites' livestock are dead. You see, here... This is an attack on what is sacred in Egypt. They believe that bulls were incarnations of different gods and goddesses. One one god is Apis. The magicians here are not mentioned. The Pharaoh, he sends people to see if the Israelites' livestock were spared. They were, yet he hardens his heart again. The Egyptians worship bulls. They believe they were the incarnation of different gods and goddesses. Who or what? Are you worshiping other than God? 
Who or what are you worshiping other than God? This sixth plague is a plague of boils. This time, there's no warning, nothing. The Lord says, Moses, take soot and throw it in the air. It will become fine dust and turn into boil sores on men and beasts. And they do it. God's power breaks out. There's boils all over men and beasts. <clears throat> they turn into sores. They turn into sickness. The Egyptians worshipped a god named Sekhmet. He was god of epidemics. He could bring them and he could end them. The magicians here are mentioned and they're, they're infected by the boils as well. This time the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, God, you do that? You harden people's hearts? Well, we've seen so far that, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Now the Lord hardens his heart. We know in 2 Peter 3, that's where we began, that God desires that all would come to repentance, but his patience will not last forever. He's given opportunity after opportunity to this man. Yet, so his power would be displayed. Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardens his heart. Pharaoh continues to dwell in sin and pride. The Egyptians believed that other gods controlled sickness and could bring healing. Where do you turn in time of need, in time of sickness? Where is your trust? The seventh plague is hail. Chapter 9, 13 to 35. Again, I hope you're seeing this pattern. Right? This, is, this is the third series, the third cycle. Moses, go in the morning and warn Pharaoh, let my people go and serve me. If not, very heavy hail will fall. He warns them so they will respond. He warns them so that the Egyptians have a chance to respond. We see God's mercy on display here. Some fear the word of the Lord, but others reject it. In chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, listen to what, what Moses says. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Moses leaves and obeys God, and God's power is displayed through hail raining down upon Egypt. It's total devastation, thunder, hail, and fire. Man and beast was struck down. Plants were struck down. Israelites were spared. There's another god, the goddess of the sky named Nut. This is, this is what we're seeing. God is coming against the, Israel, or the Egyptian gods. Yet here is where we see God's purpose displayed. In chapter 9, we read this earlier. God is doing this so that the nations, all the earth, will know who he is. Here we see God's missionary purpose in the plagues. And then if you, if you fast forward to chapter 9 of Joshua, we see it fulfilled. Joshua 9, 9 says, as they go into the promised land, the people knew about God through his power displayed in the plagues. They knew about God. God's mission has not changed. We see God's greatest display of power is in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is how all the earth may know that he is the God who has created them. 
The magicians here are not mentioned. Pharaoh says this time, I've sinned and I'm in the wrong. Pray, Moses. Intercede on my behalf. Moses, Moses says he'll do it, but he knows Pharaoh hasn't really changed. He's not fearing God. So Moses intercedes, the hell stops, and Pharaoh sins again and hardened his heart. The Egyptians prayed and worshipped the sky gods and goddesses. They depended on them for rain and nourishment. A question, do you trust the Lord who is over all creation? This, this eighth plague is locusts. Just in case everything wasn't destroyed by hail, God now sends locusts. The Lord tells Moses that all these signs are to be told to sons and grandsons in the future. Tell of my judgment that they may know that I am the Lord. We want you to pass this on to your sons and grandsons. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go and serve me. If not, I will send locusts upon you. They'll cover the face of the land. There will be more than ever before. Pharaoh's servants say, let the people go. They tell him, Pharaoh, let the people go. We don't want this. Pharaoh brings Moses back in and says, you can go serve the Lord, but only the men. Moses does not negotiate. He says, all of us, our women and children also. Pharaoh says, no, they're driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Moses stretches his hand out and God brings locusts. A swarm so dense it had never been before and will ever be again. This is against the God of the God named Men, the patron God of crops. There is complete devastation this time in, the, in, the, in this country. Everything is wiped out. The locusts destroy everything. The, the Egyptians trusted gods to protect their harvest. They failed. Who do you trust to protect and provide for you and your family? This final plague that we're going to hit today is a plague of darkness. Again, no warning. God says, Mo, or God says to Moses, go stretch out your hand toward heaven and darkness will cover the land. Moses obeys and God's power is on display. God brings pitch darkness over the land for three days. Complete darkness. They don't have lights everywhere like we do. Life stopped for three days. Nothing happened for three days. This is against the, the God that they worshiped as their supreme deity, Amon-Ra. They were sun worshipers. The Pharaoh was supposed to be the son of Ra. The magicians are silent. Pharaoh says, go serve the Lord, but your flocks and herds must stay. Moses says, no, we do not negotiate with Pharaohs. Our God is in control and is supreme. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh tells Moses to get away. If he sees him again, he'll kill him. Moses tells him, you will not see my face again. You will not see my face again. The Egyptians worshiped the sun. Their supreme deity was in control of all things, yet he failed. Who is your supreme deity? Who is your supreme deity? A final plague is threatened. I'm going to read 11, 1 to 10, and then we will get to our second question. I promise our second and third question are not as long as the first. Exodus 11, 1 through 10, the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. 
So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he, will, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Next week we'll pick up with this fulfillment of this final warning. God tells Moses that Pharaoh will let them go after this final plague. They will plunder the Egyptians, which he saw, which we saw promised in chapter three. The people have favor in the sight of the Egyptians and Moses is held in great honor among the Egyptians. This final plague is, is the death of the firstborn among humanity and animals. None will be spared from the slave girl to Pharaoh. You gotta understand, Pharaoh was seen as the son of Amun-Ra. So for his son to die and for another God to do that shows the superiority of our God. God's people will not be touched. Chapter 11 ends with Moses and Aaron's obedience and Pharaoh's hard heart. What will happen? What will happen? The, the, the plagues, right? That's what happened in the plagues. We just went through all of them except this final one. So why the plagues? Why the plagues? We've already answered this in verse 16 of chapter 9. But for this purpose, and it's so nice when the Bible gives you the answer, right? But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be, may be proclaimed in all the earth. The sin, the sin of Pharaoh and the Egyptians lead to judgment. Why the plagues? God brought judgment upon the Egyptians, upon Pharaoh, so that his power may be displayed among all the earth and his name would be made known. Our sin, our sin deserves punishment. But, but I'm not as bad as Pharaoh. I'm not as bad as Pharaoh. I didn't enslave a whole people. I didn't oppress people for 400 years. I didn't put them to death. Scriptures are clear. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because God is holy, he must judge sin. We are a people born with hard hearts. Ezekiel 36, 23 to 28 gives us a great summary of what needs to happen in our lives. If you were to read through Ezekiel 36, you'd see a lot of allusions back to the Exodus. This is what it says in verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. That is true of the Egyptians. That is true of the Israelites in Egypt. We see this later in Exodus where they start making calves of gold. They're trying to worship the God of the Egyptians. God says, I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name. And then he says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. How can this happen? How can this happen? We are all like Pharaoh. We're rebels against God. God has brought judgment, yet we can escape if we look to the one who received our punishment, the one who stood in our place. All of our sin has been judged at the cross. At the cross of Christ, where the spotless lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world. At the cross, Jesus took our sin, and now if we will acknowledge that, if we will turn from our sinful ways, from our rebellious ways, God will look at Christ's sacrifice. He will place our sin upon Christ, and we get Jesus' righteousness. Our sin is judged in Christ. And Jesus, Jesus took our sin on the cross. He was buried. But then as, as we see, God's power was on full display when he raised Christ from the dead three days later. The scriptures are clear. If we'll confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The judgment of God. In Christ, we can be saved from the judgment of God. And that offer is free to any who would turn and put their trust in Christ alone. If this is something you want to talk about, is this, is this, is this something you, you want to do today, man? We want to talk to you. I would encourage you to talk with someone who invited you or someone you know is a follower of Christ. So, that's for, that's for those who are separated from God, but for us who are believers, what do we do with this? What do we do with this narrative? What do we do with these plagues? First, we grow in our knowledge of God. That's where we began. God's judgment is so that the nations will know him. All the earth will know him. So what do we see? See, God is almighty. He holds absolute power over everything he's made. He controls the Nile. He controls the bugs. God is jealous. Oh, he's a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anyone else. He will not share his glory with the gods of the Egyptians. He will not share his glory with Pharaoh. He will not share his glory with you. God is just. In his righteousness, he deals with people according to their sins. Our sins deserve punishment. God is merciful. He saves the needy when they cry out for deliverance. He saved, man, next week we get to see God actually saves some of the Egyptians. <laughs> he saves them. After plaguing them, he saves them. God is sovereign. His mercy and justice are his choice. You can read Romans 9 for more on that. 
As our, as our band comes up to close with our final song, what do we do with this? And we see our great need for the one who saves us from judgment. We see our great need. We see our great need for Jesus. All of us stand condemned, but in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. You are kind, yet you are just. Father, we long for the nations to know you. We long for the nations to see your power in the resurrected Christ. May that be our aim today and for the rest of our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you all to stand and sing with us as we sing of